This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. It's not by your actions that you're going to lose salvation. What it does mean is that we can place ourselves outside of that protective hand of the Lord. We can place ourselves outside of His leading in our life by the choices that we make. If the Lord is continually telling us, walk this way, and we're continually walking this way, guess what? We move ourselves out from underneath His protective hand. The Scriptures teach us that our Heavenly Father is powerful and mighty. He goes before us. He is our shield and an ever-present help in time of need. He has given us His Word. He has given us His commandments. And while keeping them does not save us, they are still good for us. You see, when we abide by the Word of God, when we walk in His commandments, we are protected. We receive blessing. So why wouldn't you want to do what He says? Why wouldn't you want to follow the God you claim to believe in? Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Jude, chapter 1, verse 17, for part one of our message entitled, Walls of Protection. What began in several villages as kind of a way to protect themselves from, again, uh, marauding uh, uh, nomads and uh, enemy tribes in in other villages, uh, building some walls of protection around these villages, continued to grow until it became a pretty major structure made of uh, stone and made of brick, made of rammed earth, even made of wood in certain areas of it. And they began building these structures. Actually, the first one started back around 600 B.C., 600 years before Christ. They continued growing in these different villages, building these separate walls until around the time of 200 B.C. And as many of these walls began to connect themselves, they became known as the Great Wall of China. Those separate walls now formed all together For them, it became a bigger, a better, a stronger, more unified protection for the empire of China. And through the years, this wall continued to grow, continued to increase all of its fortification all along the whole route of this wall. Along the way, they put in watchtowers, they put in uh, troop barracks, they put in garrison stations, they put in methods of being able to signal on down the wall through either smoke or through fire signals so that very quickly they could get the message for all the miles of that wall. By the time of the 14th century A.D., okay, the Ming Dynasty, much of what is known as the Great Wall of China was in place at that point in time. The Ming Dynasty did add length to the wall, filled in some areas, and they also built a a tremendous amount of watchtowers. By the time of the 1500s, the Great Wall of China was nearly 6,000 miles long and had over 25 thousand watchtowers along the way so that they could again be that defense against the enemies well once it was established actually no enemy in in recorded history was ever to ever able to break through that wall 
no enemy was ever able to scale that wall because of the multitude of the watchtowers and the ability to be able to travel quickly along the top of the wall to come against any enemy that was there. The only problem was they had this relatively safe situation of a wall that could not be penetrated. But there are stories that in the earlier years that there were three separate occasions that people made it actually through the wall. Not by digging through the wall, but actually by going right through the gates of the wall. And the only way that they were able to do that is by bribing the guards. I invite you to turn with me to Jude, the New Testament, the book of Jude, just before the book of Revelation. We've been in there for a while. Jude gives warnings about false prophets and false teachers that were creeping into the fellowships, that were literally not breaking in, not vaulting over, but actually coming in to the fellowships. And we begin this morning, I'm going to back up into verse 14. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage." But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. Speaking about the judgment that comes upon these false teachers, that they were deceivers of the fellowship. These were the, as we've said through the study, these were the creeps that creeped in. They snuck, literally, they snuck through the wall. In Jude 16, he says that these are grumblers, they're complainers, they're walking according to their own lust. They mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. The King James Version says that they are called murmurers, and I like that word because it kind of goes with what they do. They're murmurers, and they, again, just murmuring along. But other versions call them grumblers or fault finders. These are men who have a critical spirit. There is no inner joy, as we see in, down in verse 19. There's no inner joy because they don't have the spirit within them. They don't have the Holy Spirit of God within their lives, so there is no real joy there. They are men of critical spirits. It was through the murmuring and the complaining of the children of Israel that many of them lost their lives in the desert. After they were saved out of Egypt, many of them perished there because of their continual murmuring and complaining. Time and time again in the book of Exodus and in the book of Numbers, we read about the people of Israel grumbling and complaining. And so we saw the hand of God move against them either in plagues or in fires, or literally that the earth itself opened up and and devoured them. Can you imagine working for the complaint department of the nation of Israel during that time? Oh, you have a complaint, sir? Would you mind stepping way over there, please? Thank you. Uh, Next. 
God took care of the problem. When it came right down to it, the, the situation was they, they weren't grumbling and complaining against Moses. They were actually complaining against the plan and against the move of God. And beloved, God doesn't take those things lightly. In the same way, those that came into the fellowship, as Judas speaking, they come in with this murmuring, with these complaints. They, they come to stir up strife. And really, they come in against the plan and the move of God. Now, I understand that there's times of, of valid concern about what's going on within fellowships. I've been in the ministry both as a pastor and as assistant pastor and working in other areas of ministry, gosh, for uh, over 40 years. My wife got me my first church job, okay? And in that time, I know that there are valid complaints within churches, but I also know that there's valid ways of letting these things be known and of working through them. That's not what these guys are doing. Jude speaks here of men who have a heart that's full of themselves. He says in verse 18 that they're the type of men who walk according to their own lusts. These men don't have a valid concern. They're simply fleshly and they're worldly in heart and they're coming in to cause problems. They'd come off as believers in one sense. That's how they were able to creep into the fellowships. And yet once you were able to see them thoroughly, be able to view them plainly, again, you could see that it wasn't the Spirit of God that was driving them. It was their own fleshly desires. And although fleshly desires could include sexual sin, it's definitely not limited just to that particular desire. They were also driven by the desire of power. They just wanted to have power. And, and again, they would draw people around them for that. They wanted to have the, uh, that prominence within the fellowships. And so they would set themselves up as, as that kind of an individual. They wanted the accolades or the applause of others about what a great job they're doing. And, oh, you know, if we could just all follow you. This is the kind of situation that Jude is warning. They wanted control, and they wouldn't settle for anything else. In Jude 16, Jude tells us how they use great swelling words to puff themselves up and to present themselves, again, greater than what they were. The New International Version says that they boast about themselves. Boast about themselves. Another translation of the Greek uh, gives the expression here that they speak arrogant things. It's kind of like the deal of, hey, listen, have I, have I told you lately how great I am? It's absolutely wonderful being me. But enough about me talking about me. Why don't you talk about me for a while? It's, a, it's that kind of an attitude. It's that kind of a, a heart that these men have. Now, they may not say it in those words, but by their actions and by their attitudes, it becomes very clear that that's the kind of people that they are. They, they set themselves above everyone else. They use flattery towards others only for their own benefit, for their own advantage. Actually, they bribe with words to be able to gain access through the wall of defense of the fellowships. Years ago, there was a television program, and as I look around the room, some of you may not know about that program, but I also look around the room, and I know that some of you will remember this television program with me. It was called Leave it to Beaver, okay? Okay, so I'm stating my age here. 
Well, this was about Ward and June Cleaver and and their family and their their two boys, uh, Wally, the oldest son, and Theodore, or the Beaver, as they called him as a nickname, and, and, and their family and all the things that went on. Well, Wally, the oldest son, had a friend, if you could call him a friend, but the, the friend's name was Eddie Haskell. You know where I'm going if you're familiar with that story. Eddie Haskell reminds me of these men that, that Jude is speaking about. He was actually self-centered. He was always conniving, and he was always pulling these pranks whenever the adults were gone, okay? But every time the adults would come in, oh, hello, Mr. Cleaver. That's a swell hat you have on, sir. Really looks good on you. Oh, that's a lovely dress you have on, Mrs. Cleaver. Looks wonderful on you. And, of course, June would then blush and be all embarrassed. Well, thank you, Eddie. Eddie is such a nice boy, isn't he? And then all of a sudden, Eddie would begin asking or doing what he wants to do, that conniving, that twisting sort of way. He would flatter people to gain advantage. In verse 17 and 18 here, Jude reminds the church that he's not the only one that's warning them about these troublemakers, about these spiritual Eddie Haskells. In verse 17, he says, But you, beloved, you, you remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. I close the service by reading Peter's warning about these conditions of the last day and the conditions of men's hearts during that time. We looked at it in Second Peter chapter 3, and you can look at that if you forget some other time. But in verse 3 of that passage, we were reminded, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts. In addition to this, we, we read where the Apostle Paul had warned Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Last week, we looked at a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul declared that, again, that in the last days, perilous times are going to come. He spoke about how men would be lovers of pleasure and rather than lovers of God. And he says that from such people you need to turn away. What we see here are men that are led wholly and completely by the flesh. They don't have the Spirit of God working in them. They have carnal attitudes and carnal plans, but it's all wrapped up in this cloak of religion and spirituality. They are truly wolves in sheep's clothing. And that's what Jude is warning about here. The Apostle John even speaks about, again, as he writes to the church, he speaks about how we need to guard against the damage of these false ones. He tells the church how to fortify their walls of protection. Turn back just a couple of pages, if you would, to your left, to 1 John chapter 4. In 1 John chapter 4, John writes and he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. In other words, not everybody that comes into the fellowship. You know, the Lord was speaking to me and saying thus and so. 
or should you believe? And the unfortunate thing is many naive believers they say, well, he seems like a very spiritual person. He seems to be very religious. And he says that the Lord spoke to him. Who am I to doubt that? Well, beloved, you better test the spirits to see whether they are of God or not. Otherwise, you're going to be led astray by wolves in sheep's clothing. He says, test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And by this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Now, John was dealing with a particular group of false teachers called the Gnostics, and we're not going to get into that this morning. But the test that John speaks of, understand it's more than just parroting uh, of words and saying, yeah, I, I believe again that uh, Jesus Christ has come in, in the flesh. That does not necessarily bring even in today's life and in, in, in the realm that we live in. That's not the completeness of the test. The apostles in all of their writings, they speak of those that by the very core of their belief system, they declare that they're not true followers of Jesus Christ. They are deceivers. We need to test the spirits of those who would come into us. That's why even here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, this isn't something that's done in every Calvary. I know it's not done in every church, but it's something that the Lord laid on our heart at the very beginning. When someone new comes within the fellowship, regardless of how uh, good their quote-unquote resume may look, We ask them to come and be a part of us for at least 90 days, for at least about three months, so that we can get to know them, they can get to know us. It's a time to be able to test the Spirit. It allows us to be able to see how that individual relates to the rest of the body. It allows us both to hear and to see the testimony of their faith. It allows us to hear and see the individual in in action, and it allows us really to pray and to seek the mind of God before we put that person in any areas of responsibility or in any areas of ministry here. But even that's not foolproof. As a ministry, we've been taken at times. We've been taken by those that don't truly have a servant's heart. They're looking for a position. They're looking for power. They're looking for the accolades of men. The unfortunate thing that I've learned in ministry is that sometimes... Sometimes you can really mess up a good servant of the Lord by giving them a position that they serve the Lord a whole lot better before suddenly they were recognized for that. Because for some men, that recognition suddenly goes to their head. And what was a good servant of the Lord is now someone who's drawing people to themselves and trying to make themselves much more than what they should be. That's why even those that have been here for a while, it's not necessarily a guarantee. The Apostle Paul even warned the Ephesian church. You remember back in the book of Acts, he warned the Ephesian elders as he met them that even from among the elders, even from among the leadership there, that there was going to rise up men speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. You see, that's the problem we see in all of this, drawing away disciples after themselves. 
rather than just exalting Christ and being a servant to the people. They're skillful in dividing the body of Christ, bringing divisions into the family of God. Many times the message that they bring is, is, you know, we have a deeper knowledge of the word than, and your church just doesn't have it, oh, but, but we do, and let me give this to you. They might come in and say, we have a better understanding of prophecy or we have a better understanding of the Christian life than you do. So come and follow me, draw near to me, and I'll give you all of these things. And with that, they lead people actually away from the truth rather than closer to it. These men come in and they begin to minister without the direction or the calling of God in their lives. They circumvent the existing leadership of the fellowship. And beloved, God doesn't take these things lightly. Jude uses the closing verses, verses 20 to 23, to to bring some positive things that we can do in our own lives to be able to guard against those that would deceive us, against those that would bring damage against the church. Listen to what he says in verse 20. But you, beloved, now who is he speaking to here? He's speaking to the body of Christ. He's not speaking to just the leadership. He's not speaking just to pastors. He's speaking to the body of Christ. So in other words, he's speaking to you and I both, all of us together. He says, but you, beloved... Building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. There in verse 20, he says, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. This deals with your personal growth, your personal development in the Lord. It's the idea of growing in your understanding and the knowledge of your faith by growing in your understanding and knowledge of the Word of God. There's a foundation that's already been laid for your faith in Christ. Jude speaks about that, that faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Up in verse 3, you need to remain attached to that foundation But, beloved, you can't just stay there. You need through personal growth to be able to extend upward from the basics. Still in verse 20, he speaks about praying in the Holy Spirit. I know that some of my charismatic and Pentecostal brothers say, well, that means praying in tongues. But I don't believe that that's where Jude is going here with this. I believe that praying in the Holy Spirit simply means having times of spirit-led prayer. Not just the times of laying your burdens on the Lord and asking for Him to take care of everything for you, but being led by the Lord in and through your prayer life. As George Lawler writes, he says, praying out of hearts and souls that are indwelt, illuminated, and filled with the Holy Spirit. What Jude is speaking about is praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, another thing that you and I need to do, we need to keep ourselves in the love of God. Beloved, this speaks about our walk of obedience, remaining in the fellowship with the Father through faithful obedience. What it does not mean is that by your actions, 
we have the power to either maintain or lose our salvation. It wasn't by your actions that you gain salvation. It's not by your actions that you're going to lose salvation. What it does mean is that we can place ourselves outside of that protective hand of the Lord. We can place ourselves outside of his leading in our life by the choices that we make. If the Lord is continually telling us, walk this way, and we're continually walking this way, guess what? We move ourselves out from underneath his protective hand. In this day and age in which we live, it's easy to get distracted by everything that's going on around us. The hustle and bustle of life tends to keep us from the things that are truly important as followers of Christ. While there's simply no substitute for the personal reading of God's Word, programs like The Open Word are huge blessings that God uses in the discipleship of countless people. We want to be sure that you're utilizing all the resources available to you. Remember, you can subscribe to The Open Word Podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. The Open Word Podcast is always available and completely free. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to the Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to the Open Word Podcast. Again, for more information about the Open Word, Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, or to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study of Pastor David's teaching through the book of Jude. That's next time on The Open Word.